Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm author and publisher Tracy L. Flatten. It's my belief that the most interesting, creative, and original voices today are heard outside of the big corporations, studios, and galleries. Individuals of courage, inspiration, and vision are seizing the opportunities to create and promote their art themselves. I'm here to support them and to bring their stories to you. On this show, I'll interview independent artists of all kinds, unusual thinkers, and even some healers about their process. How do they do it? How do they start with an idea and bring it to life in the world? This show intends to illuminate the journey. Feel free to call in to 516-453-6052 with questions or live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers. Great to have you with us. Hi, this is Tracy Slatten, hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers. I am so happy to welcome you to the show. We have a great show lined up for you today. And I'm very grateful and humbled that so many people are listening into the show, both live and in the archives. I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. As the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. Please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independentartistthinkers. Email me in between shows if you want to suggest a guest or if you have to if you have a question to ask me about a particular guest. You can reach me at Tracy at TracyLSlatten.com, and my name is spelled T-R-A-C-I. In the coming weeks, some great guests are coming on. Next week on July 2nd, producer and director Christine Yu will talk about her journey of making The Wedding Palace and what it's like to be a woman director in Hollywood. On July 9th at 5 p.m., a little later than usual for us, Internationally renowned Vedic astrologer Camilla Sutton will tell us how to make our lucky stars work for us. On August 6th, Dr. Bruce Cole, a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C., will talk about art and architecture in our country's most public venues and our country's heritage of art. Very cool. So tune in and keep checking the website independentartistthinkers.com and the Blog Talk Radio um, page to find out who will be on the show. And I am delighted today to have Marnie Galloway, a comic artist in Chicago, on the show. I am indirectly acquainted with Marnie through her mom, who is a lovely friend of mine. So, of course, I've heard about how brilliant and wonderful Marnie is. And I've seen some of her work um, over the last few years. It's amazing. And I am absolutely thrilled to have Marnie on the show. Marnie Galloway is a comic artist and illustrator working in Chicago, Illinois. Her three-part wordless comic series, in the Sounds and Seas, won a, and I'm probably going to mis-say this, so I'll have her pronounce it for her, Sarek Grant, 
was nominated for the L.A. Times Book Prize for the Best Graphic Novel and made the Notable Comics List in Best American Comics. She is a co-organizer of Chicago Alternative Comics Expo and a co-host of the bi-weekly panel podcast Image Plus Text with cartoonist Sam Sharp. Her illustration and comics clients include 826CHI, Sever Magazine, Cricket Magazine, and Chicago Zine Fest. So, Marnie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Tacey. It's such an honor. Well, I'm I'm thrilled you're here, and you know I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on the current state of the graphic novel, which is not an art form I know a lot about. So I really want to hear what you have to say. But I'd like to start off with how you began your journey, and what it has taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently. What training did you have, and when did you know you were going to be involved with comic art and graph the graphic novel? What did you think you would be? So tell me about your childhood and your early career, and I understand you have a background in artist books and printmaking, but start much earlier and just kind of lead up to that. Yeah, my pleasure. So, uh, yeah, it's, I definitely took a lot of left-hand turns to get to get to the art practice that I have today. Um, I've always drawn. I've always, um, you know, as soon as I could pick up a pencil, my, my mom, your, your friend, my lovely mom, Lori, says that I would uh, pick up a pencil and kind of spook her by drawing pages and pages of perfect circles. Um, and uh, when I was when I was growing up in elementary school, middle school, and high school, I'd always take, you know, I, I took to the art classes, um, but I was also very good at, at math and I cared a lot about literature. It was, I wasn't exactly a polymath, but I was good at, I was good at being a student. And um, my interest in the arts was, was always very, very deep and very genuine, but I honestly didn't know that that was a like a legitimate path that I could that I could take. You know, I grew up um, I grew up in the South and in kind of small small towns in the South in the like the apartments you see on the side of highways on your way mm-hmm. into small cities, and there aren't a lot of working artists in those regions, so I didn't really have a model for that. And I was very good at at school, and so I um, you know when it was time for college, I, I applied to some art programs, but uh, didn't, you know, didn't end up following that path. I went to Smith College um, to for a kind of more traditional liberal arts education and studied symbolic logic, actually, which is kind of the intersection of philosophy and mathematics. And so, so it took a lot of... Is symbolic mm-hmm. logic like the symbology that, you know, um, Dan Brown's main character in the Da Vinci Code is some sort of symbolic teacher, right? You know, it's it's not it's not that. It's um I it's more like uh applying algebraic structure to um to language and arguments and thoughts. And so um the taking a, a symbolic logic class looks a lot like a set theory class. It's a lot of doing proofs and long um, long proofs where instead of math, instead of abstracts like numbers as the variables, it would be segments of kinds of thought. It's um, my my specialty was in uh, in paradoxes, and so kind of using ooh, these, that's cool. Uh, using that. yeah, it was really just totally thrilling. I loved it, and I you know I had a couple of undergrad papers published, and I was on my path. Like that was going to be my path. I was going to go and get my PhD in, in logic and 
I, I have a, heard that you're a super genius, and everything you're saying is um, is confirming what your mom has told me about your extraordinary <laughs> gifted in, intellect. Well, I don't I don't know about that, but um, you know, I I also have enough you know honest assessment of my abilities to to truly succeed in in logic, just like I, I think kind of similar to succeeding in academic mathematics. You really have to have something extraordinary, and I don't feel like that was where I had something extraordinary. I was good at it, you know. I was, um, I was fine. I was, I was solid, but uh, it wasn't where my heart was. Actually, when I, um, I was going through and taking my, I took my GRE, and on my walk back to the, you know, secretary day job I had, and my year after college from taking the GRE, I had a total panic attack. It's like this is not what I want to do, and. I went on a long walk with my then boyfriend, now husband Tom, uh, and we talked through it. And it was one of the most important walk and talks that we've had. Where I was like, "No, what I want, I want to do, I want to make art. This is what I've always done. When nobody's looking, I draw. When nobody's looking, I make books. When nobody's looking, I spend all of my, I spend all of my spare time thinking about doing that. And I need to give myself a shot. Um, but that was. So, so um, uh-huh. I always ask. My, I always ask guests, was there a moment when the light bulb went on over your head? And are you telling me that was your moment? I had like two or three moments, but that was one of the biggest ones. That was the one that kind of changed my path. Um, and then there were sub, sub light bulbs, you know. Like I, I knew that I wanted to do something in the arts, but I was still pretty ignorant. I took, I took some, I took some printmaking classes in college and really loved those and, um, and, and got a lot out of that. I really care about democratic access that you know like having art be really accessible to everybody um Mm -hmm. and uh so printmaking was a really appealing thing um so still i'm still a little bit precious with my drawings and just want to hold on to them and but with prints like i can make a bunch and give them to people and and share them more widely so i um i applied to a couple of graduate programs that uh was thrilled to get into a program that's for um artist books uh, here in Chicago, mm-hmm. and uh, it was—it ultimately wasn't a good fit. Um, the uh, of the of the twelve of us who started the program my year, ten of us left after the first year. It was a oh, that's, that's not a good that's that's not a good statistic. No, no. <laughs> they're doing <laughs> something wrong in that program if they have that kind of attrition rate. Yeah, it was it was disappointing. It was really disappointing because I thought that that was my foot in to making the kind of work I wanted to make. Um, but I learned a lot. I learned one of the things that I learned was that artists books more work for me. So that was the focus of the program. And I knew that I I knew that I cared about books and and the book as a form. Um, but the artist book specifically, it's it's really. Um, when I was talking about access before and accessibility of art, in order to make, in order to access artist books, you know, the main collectors are special collections librarians, and in order to get into those, you usually have to have affiliation with the university and make an appointment and put on white gloves and look through this object. And mm-hmm. I don't know, that just doesn't sound like if I'm going to spend a year or two of my life making something, I want more people to be able to see it. So mm-hmm. um, I that was one of the one of the biggest things that I got from from leaving that program along with kind of giving myself permission to make the work I wanted to make rather than seeking rather than seeking institutional permission. Mm-hmm. 
as when an institution fails you that profoundly, <laughs> uh, there's nothing to break you of that of that illusion that you need someone's permission to make your work. Uh, and but you I know that didn't really have mm-hmm. what you're. What you're talking about of not needing institutional permission, I guess that that would have to be kind of the underlying theme of the show and why I started it because um, I think somehow when we go through school, public school or even in private schools, we are trained to think we need institutional permission, maybe not explicitly always, but there's an implicit, you know, don't go to the principal's office kind of thing. So there yeah. When you begin to understand and make choices that are not about getting institutional permission, I think it's um, it's it's a huge shift in the life. It's liberating. You know, it's so funny, Tracy. I think I've said maybe those exact words that just came out of your mouth so many times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I completely concur. I think that, um, you know, it's, I think that there is a lot, especially for me, like I was a very good student. I was very good at being a student. I was very good at, you know, getting along with people and make kind of being a peacekeeper and wanting to be sure that everybody was was appeased and that also kind of doesn't go along with making making work the questions things and that's ultimately what I'm more interested in. So Oh no, I as much I find, yeah. I find that if you are outside institutional permission you are pissing some people off. Totally. Oh my gosh, yeah. And so doing this so leaving uh, leaving grad school in the way that I did, and you know, it was a hugely transformative year and also heartbreaking, right? Like, I really wanted to do that, and I really wanted, I thought that getting my MFA would be a way out of, I was working as a secretary after, you know, having years and years of being, you know, an, an A, you know, like I was saying, an A student, like really being like a pro at what I was doing and really being celebrated for that, and i you know, kind of with my tail between my legs, went back to my administrative job, and but but with a different orientation. I was like, okay, well, this is how I pay my rent, and that's fine because I need to pay my rent, and I now have a different focus on what I want to do. There was a little bit of time where I tried, I did try printmaking because I had a good community of friends who were printmakers, um, and that was so welcoming to have a community after it was a pretty toxic uh, educational experience. Um, so I worked as an apprentice uh, and studio assistant at a letterpress studio and, you know, probably worsened my eyesight by using tweezers to put away six-point lead type um, back into the chase for business cards. Oh, um, and Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> it was very, it was very, uh, I was a master of um, early 20th century printmaking, um, uh-huh. not, not terribly practical at all, but, but fun and, you know, kind of a nurturing year. Um, mm-hmm. But then I I, I realized I, I still care about books. I, I was always much more of a literary nerd than an art nerd or comic nerd. I could care so much about literature, and um, and I wanted to make something that felt literary, but I still, I know you were saying at the beginning that you're not, very familiar with graphic novels and comics and honestly I wasn't I wasn't either but the books that I made kind of from that place of of uh you know leaving leaving those institutions behind and really inquiring within myself what I needed what was the work I needed to make, what was the work that I've made all of these sacrifices to have the time to to make. Um and that first book that I made was the first chapter of 
of In the Sounds and Seas, which is now um, the work that I'm best known for, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a wordless, I now know to call it a comic, but at the time I was like, oh, I'm just trying some, I want to draw a story. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it was, that was another process, you know, again, another like light bulb moment. I I made my first book and um, what I now know to call a, a mini comic, which is a self-published, you know, saddle stitched, stapled in the spines, you know, just a little book. And mm-hmm. I'd hand printed the covers and had the body pages offset. And I knew enough, I knew enough from my um, artist book background and from my experience as a printmaker, how to do that, you know, but then I just had this box of books sitting in my living room and, you know, I put them up on Etsy and, you know, my mom bought one and a couple of friends bought one, but it, it felt like so anticlimactic. And, mm-hmm. um, Eventually, I I'd reached out to the studio, the woman who ran the studio that I used to work for, and she'd said all along, like, oh, why don't you just, one of her, her daughters goes to Montessori with somebody, with her best friend is Oscar, and she's like, talk to Oscar's dad, he'll tell you what to do. Turns out um, Oscar's dad is Jeffrey Bond, who's an extraordinarily famous cartoonist. Um, and so I wow. reached out to him not knowing that's who he was. And I was like, hey, what do I do with this book? <laughs> and uh, he recommended that I... That I exhibit at at local, you know, alternative comics festivals and zine fests to, you know, to sell my book and to reach out to people. And in 2012, 2011, I exhibited at my first show, which was Chicago Zine Fest, and that was when the big light bulb went off. I was like, Oh, these are my people. This is where <laughs> I belong. These you are the people doing. I found my tribe, and it was so thrilling. I felt electric, and in my book, like I sold out of my books, and I met so many people who were making the same kind of work that I was making, and I, my, my mind exploded. I was, and then suddenly I had this new kind of work that I was like, oh, apparently I'm making comics, so apparently I need to read more comics and learn about this. So is that um, when? Started reading like was it the Night Watches the the famous the most famous you know very famous graphic novel. Yeah, the 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 Watchmen is is the a Watchmen, good one. Right. There's also like yeah, also you know, I heroes icons of alternate like more independent comics um, like Mouse uh, by Art Spiegelman and Jimmy Corrigan by Chris Ware. All sorts of people who um, I think are maybe best known by non-comics readers as the artist who graced the cover of The New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, <laughs> you know, like, uh-huh. I've, I've had over the years enough experience to, like, like oh, comics, so, like, Spider-Man? I was like, no, not, like, Spider-Man. It's this whole other thing. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I did, I kind of did my, my due diligence and dove in and read as much as I could and, um really thought hard about what the medium offered and uh kept kept making work and and it worked out it it has it has treated me very well yeah well this is um, all cool so tell me what is monkey rope press and how did it come to be sure so that's my self publishing imprint um it started off when i was making when i was working at the letterpress studio uh it it felt more professional to have to hire a monkey rope press to print your wedding invitations rather than like hey Marnie can you put together a couple cards uh-huh. for me so um and monkey rope uh is a little tip of the hat to my favorite chapter in Moby Dick um 
so the monkey rope is a chapter in Moby Dick where uh, Ishmael is reflecting on interconnectedness and interdependence and how much we rely on each other for not just living, but not just surviving, but thriving. And when I was starting my little business, I thought that was a nice, a nice name. And uh, an original idea was that I would use that imprint name to to publish, to be like a micro press and publish the work of people who I'd like to celebrate. But making work, um, you know, is, is making comics is such a time-consuming process uh, that, and doing printing other people's work is really more of a business focus than a creative uh-huh. focus. And so I, I kept it around because I had the URL and, um, you know, it's on all my business cards and uh, I and I still use it in, on the back of my books. It's like, oh, printed by Monkey Road Press. But it just means that I, I did all of the behind-the-scenes work of it. That's yeah. cool. That's that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I saw it on the website. It's a beautiful website. So tell me, and you started talking about this, but tell me more about alternative and independent um, comics conventions, which I understand is a big part of how you sell books. And also you organized one of the country's largest festivals, the Chicago Alternative Comics Expo. So can you also talk about your work there? Yeah, absolutely. So um, alternative comics is shorthand for not mainstream um for and where mainstream is defined by kind of the big like dc and marvel all of the people who are now just rolling in the dough from all of the superhero movies that's mainstream. right those are the those are the corporate comics yeah it, very very well said exactly um independent comics alternative comics are people with backgrounds closer to mine more of the like punk kids and weirdo kids and art school kids who uh make it's a lot of self-publishing. In the model in um, the model in comics, it's very different from the literary model of self-publishing. Um, it's in order to kind of get picked up by a small, like an alternative comics publisher, like Fantagraphics or like Drawing Quarterly or any of the bigger ones. It's you. You kind of have to have proven yourself already. You have to kind of have already proven that you have an audience and you have a readership. And so self-publishing is just the the um, meat and potatoes of how work is made. And alternative comics festivals are for independent artists to sit behind a table for a weekend and have people walk through and, and look at their books and hopefully buy them. There are um, There's a whole festival circuit. It's, it's funny, since I've gotten into the festival circuit um, of going to these alternative comics shows, I, I see comic artists who don't live in Chicago sometimes more than my friends who live in Chicago because like next month there's a show in Ohio and I'm going to mm-hmm. see most a lot of people from there and then there's a show in Minneapolis and then a show in DC and it's it's like a roving And do you travel camp. to all these? I do, yeah. Um and I'm I'm very grateful that the sales from the books, you know, I I can it covers covers the cost of travel and and pays for the printing of the books and um it's you know the kind of where I am as an early career comic artist to, to get my name out there and um, and I also love it like I'm I'm a very a very shy and introverted person uh, and I thought that going to these shows and sitting behind a table and talking to people would just be kryptonite mm-hmm. um, but it's really invigorating because you know you spend so much time and 
and genuinely deep thought and care making this work. And it's very isolating. I, I joke around a lot. It's a very monastic practice. Like I'm sitting in the corner of my room illuminating manuscripts and then to suddenly get to go and see that there's an audience, it's, it's thrilling. Um, so the there are a lot of alternative comics festivals and they're bubbling up more. There are, It feels like more and more every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the big ones, like there's Small Press Expo in D.C. The Toronto Comic Arts Festival is gigantic. Um, tens of thousands of people come through uh, that one. Um, the one that I helped organize, the Chicago Alternative Comics Expo, with the acronym CAKE, which is very cute, mm-hmm. uh, is the, the big one for Chicago. And we're only in our fourth year. Uh, we just finished up. So the festival was um, two weeks ago. Uh-huh. And um, it's it's great. So my my role there it's a um, it's a volunteer it's a volunteer run organization, and definitely like blood sweat and tears of uh, there's six of us who are the core organizers for the festival, and we have a couple of part time volunteers who help with specific tasks. But everything from you know nonprofit management to um, budgeting to you know, doing all of the, um, you know, jurying and processing of applications to developing microgrants and new ways to serve the audience that we want to serve and, and support early career artists to long arguments about if we should have four large trash cans or a bunch of small trash cans on the festival floor. Like, mm-hmm. it's everything that needs to be done is done by the six of us who run the festival. And it's it's pretty consuming. It's um for the better part of this last year, it was about 20 hours a week of, of wow. work um, to create to create a weekend show. And uh, but it's it's uh, I think com- completely worth it. I've learned a lot about how how the alternative comics industry runs, and mm-hmm. um, and I get a lot out of. I, I almost feel like it's a, a moral imperative to do what I can to support other people who are, you know, early career and trying to figure out the ropes. Um, because I, I feel like I was flailing and struggling so long to find my footing, and and this community, this specific community, was so instrumental to me feeling as happy and satisfied with my practice as I am now. So um, it's that shared yeah, it's a, passion. It is. It's absolutely shared passion, and it's and there's such a a joy to it. And I don't say that as an organizer, but just walking the floor, I um. I used to work as an art director at a children's magazine, and I try to bring a lot of my coworkers to the show. And um, it's they they would like, oh, I don't know about comics, Spider Man, Spider Man, and then they'd go and just come out beaming because it's all of these people, a lot of a lot of very young people. It's a lot of post college through thirties. Uh, although there are plenty of people who are, um, you know older or mid-career or, you know, kind of heroes of comics, uh, late career stuff. Um, and so it's just a really energizing. Everybody's so excited to be there. I, You know, for anybody listening, I highly recommend you try to see if there are any alternative independent comic shows in your area. New York has MOCA, the Museum of Comics and Cartoon Arts Festival. I think that happens in the spring. I think it's already passed this year, but... Um, is there any central totally website? Is there like a central website where listeners could go look and see where all the comic um, festivals are? You know, there 
there aren't, although a friend of some friends of mine put together a show, a website called Festival Season, uh, festivalseason.org, um, where they they try to be that central um, that central calendar and also critique and write about comics. Um, there is a calendar there for upcoming upcoming festivals, but it, it's only through the end of the year, and a lot of them happen in spring and early summer. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're kind of mid midway through the peak of uh, festival season, but that would be a that would be a good place to to go and look. But there are smaller ones. This is mostly for the big like the big shows where there are where people travel artists travel internationally to exhibit at them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there there are plenty of smaller ones and zine fests. Zines being like magazines, like the very very kind of nineties punk and riot girl kind of thing. It's still, uh-huh. You know. They're still like totally thriving. I love Zine Fest so much. It's much more scrappy. It's much more like uh, a little bit more punk um, and really just the same kind of fun energy. Uh, and most most big cities have had Zine Fest. I think um, we have. But, a, oh, no. Never mind. Huh? I thought we had a caller, but we don't. We're good. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> well, let me ask no, you. It, um, we're yeah. talking about all these different festivals and everything, but I would like to hear more about your book in the Sounds and Seas, which is an award-winning sure. wordless comic series. So, you know, talk about that. Where did you get the inspiration? Yeah. How did you come up with the idea? What was it like executing it? Yeah, the, good, good question. So, um, in the Sounds and Seas is a it's a wordless comic. It's the kind of the, the basic structure of the plot. The um, it opens on a kind of a, a creation myth where three figures sit around a fire and they burst into song. And the song, since it's wordless, is represented by streams of animals bursting out of their mouth. And, oh, wow. and, that, and the, those voices kind of weave together in the sky and blend to make the ocean and the world. And the rest of the story is people in that world building a ship to go try to sail to find the singers of the song. And, it has the um, it has an American a Native American Indian kind of mythological feel just from what you've said so far. I've had people I've had people tell me that I've had also had people um, you know compare especially the singing part to Escher. Neither of those were necessarily um, you know things I was going for, but um, but I think they're completely fair uh, and worthy. And flattering interpretations. Um, the I wrote it. Um, I wrote the whole story. So it's it's six chapters. It's three books. I've published the first two. I'm in the middle of working on the third one. Um, I, I wrote it all out in kind of a book report style of, and then this happens, and then this happens. And I assumed it would take one year to finish the whole thing, and I was super wrong. It took six months to illustrate the first six. So the first chapter took six months of wow. illustration. It's very, it's very densely illustrated. I was also learning as I went, mm-hmm. um, and I think that, like, I'm interested in. I, I think the big questions that the, this book was, I was thinking about as I was working on it, were questions of creative community, um, and also of obsessive creative production and what happens when that fails. Those were kind of the big the big questions that I was investigating as I was working on it and 
and I made it my husband worthless. my husband who's a sculptor uh-huh. calls it the disease you know you're talking about yeah. this you know, the obsession the compulsion to make art you know Sabin calls it the disease um and the yeah, first day I, we I met, might adopt that yeah, yeah <laughs> the first day he and I met I was talking about writing and he looked at me and he said oh you've got it you've got the disease and uh-huh. it, was, it, it was like finally someone who understood it's like it just seizes you and never lets go if if you really have it yep absolutely i completely understand that and i think i'm going to start adopting that term i'm very apt um but uh so so in 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 the sun and seas the one thing another thing that i was interested in investigating so i know that you're an author and i said before that um you know literature is really really powerful to me and i'm you know i'm not a i'm not a I'm not a religious person. I consider myself super secular, but I'm, I am interested in kind of ideas of the sacred and um, and the closest thing that I have to sacredness is literature. And I was a little bit intimidated as I was working on this story to include language because that's the closest, like I didn't want to mess it up. <laughs> I didn't want to dip my toe into that world that I find so moving and profound. And so I kind of wanted to work with that restriction and work on telling a story that's about storytelling, work on a story that's about creation without using language. And it's been a really useful constraint um, and often very difficult. I mean, there are times when it would be so much easier to have someone say, like, hey, go get me some rope. But instead, you have to spend (laughs) a whole page doing pantomime (laughs) to try to, you know, show that that's the communication that's happening on the page. Um, and I think that, I, so this is, it's the biggest, it's the biggest project that I've, I've worked on and I'm super grateful that it's gotten a little bit of attention. Um, so if readers and, want to, if my listeners, if our listeners here on the show want to look at it, can they look at it? Can they buy it? Where can, the part that's already published? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So my website is monkeyropepress.com uh, and on there, there's a, a preview of um, the illustrations, or, you know, segments of In the Sentences Volume 1 and Volume 2. And on there is also a link to my Etsy shop, which is just etsy.com slash shop slash monkey rope. But just going to monkeyropepress.com, you can click on the store button and it'll take you to an easy an easy way to to buy the books if they're interested, along with some of my older letterpress prints and some of my mini comics, which are um, shorter, kind of short stories rather than the novels. Um, and, so, and so, so yeah, so I was, uh-huh, uh-huh. No, so are you, so you're working now in the last part of it that will be published when? Um, I'm thumbnails, which is the earliest part of the planning of the final book. Uh, and I generally generally takes about six months to illustrate the whole thing once I'm in inks, um, because it's you know it's multi multi stage for each drawing of of thumbnailing and planning out kind of the whole shape of the book uh, visually, and then each page determining the composition, and then within each composition doing the underlying pencils, and then on top of that doing the final inks. And so each page is a you know, a multi-layer process. Um, and so I, I, I anticipate, you know, my, my goal is to have it published by the end of the year. Um, so hopefully by 
November I'll have the the final volume up up for sale. You know, knock on knock on wood. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure you always send those things to me. I'll put them up on the independent artists and thinkers website. I've been starting to oh, try to I, do that. Oh, I will for sure. Yes, absolutely. I'll send that to you as soon as we're done with our conversation. Great. So yeah, and and there's a, always things that Oh, go, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, the December is, a, I think, a reasonable but optimistic goal because they're, I'm also a, a freelancer and, you know, try to take jobs that I can grab them. But what were you saying? Well, I was just wondering um, where you want to go after In the Sounds and Seas is finished. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I have, um, I have two projects that I have kind of uh, squared up ahead of me. Um, one is kind of the next big book, uh, so kind of the next big graphic novel. Um, I started I started outlining it and working on it and developing developing the project when I was um I I did an artist residency last October uh at, at Ragdale in Lake Forest, Illinois. And it was wonderful. It was really, really wonderful to have that time set aside just to work on just to work on focused on that idea and it's still, I feel like it's a project that needs a little bit more cooking before I dive into it. It was a very, it was a very surprisingly emotionally raw experience to put myself in the emotional place to think through what the project was turning into. Um, and so I walked away from it for a good number of months this spring, and now it's time to get back into Sounds and Seas, and so... And this is specifically, it's but but the the one you're the project after in the South Seas that's specifically a graphic novel as opposed to a wordless comic. Well, I think that those are not necessarily distinct. Um, A graphic novel can be wordless. It's just about the length of. It's kind of just about length. Um, A graphic novel is a. It's one of those every square is a rectangle, but not every rectangle is a square. So uh, a graphic novel can be wordless. A comic can be wordless. Um, a graphic novel is a kind of comic. It's just a very long-form comic. Uh, the comic is the kind of the medium in which I work, and the graphic novel is the closest description of the, you know, rather than saying like short story, you'd say novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the next, the next one that I'm working on would be, I, I do think I would include text, um, and that's also been a challenge to learn how to do planning for a book. I, with, you know, do I write out a script? Do I work on language when I'm in thumbnails? Like the process is very different. Uh, and then, so that's kind of the, the next big, big whale I'm tackling. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm also scheduled to. I've, I've signed on to do a like a mini comics, like a short story. Um, mm-hmm. With uh, with a micro press, uh, so what press? Um, it's about um, kind of about investigating grief and uh, and still investigating the, grace. Uh, grief, G R I E S. Yeah, grief. Investigating, okay. Yeah, investigating um, mourning and uh, the rituals that we go through. Uh, Interesting. In that process, and yeah, I, I, I'm really looking forward to thinking about that one. Um, but I, those are both things that I probably won't have an opportunity to really dive into until until the fall or I'm farther along in, in Sounds and Seeds, which is my 
my next big priority. Well, that's, yeah. that all sounds wonderful. Are you, in terms of um, doing incorporating the text, are you talking to other people who already do that, or are you just trying to invent it as you go to find your own process? Yeah, I've, I've definitely, um, I'm kind of a shameless, shamelessly curious person when I'm at these conventions and I'll ask people their, their process. And uh, I, I also had the privilege of um, mentoring a senior, a senior through her thesis project at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design this last spring, this whole last year. And it was really interesting to see, you know, like I was saying before, I don't have an educational background in, in the arts beyond some undergrad classes and that year of grad school, uh, much less specific training in comics, and her undergraduate program is specifically for comics. And so it was really educational for me um, as I was mentoring her to see what her process is of writing out very strict scripts, uh, kind of uh-huh. the read-like film scripts, and with scene descriptions of what would happen in each panel. I, I don't know if that feels as intuitive to me, um, I feel like I, I learn a lot when I'm on the page uh, mm-hmm. and doing that much planning ahead of time. It's like saying, it's like saying, it's like if a poet saying like, oh, well, this is going to be the structure of my story. And in the first line, I'm going to say something about flowers. And then the second line, I'm going to say something about heartache. You know, like it, that feels way too top down. And so I, mm-hmm. I think that doing some kind of outline is, is necessary for planning something as interdisciplinary and complex as comics are. But, Oh, it always changes on the page. I think I think it's an evolving process, for sure. And I'm, but I definitely, you know, like I was saying, totally shameless asking friends uh, how they do it and making I make drawing dates with people just to kind of sneakily spy on how they're working on their projects. <laughs> uh-huh. well, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Finding models for yourself, I I think that's a that's resourceful. Yeah, and also because it's a very, um, I mean, comics have been around for a long time and visual novels have been around for a long time, And uh, but comics, alternative comics in the form that they are, that they're working right now, is a, it's a totally new, it's still a very, very young discipline. And so there aren't really as many rules or like, you know, guidebooks, self-help books you know, this is how you do this thing, as there are, I think, for other other disciplines that have been around for longer. And so that's kind of, I find that actually kind of thrilling. It's kind of the Wild West. I mean, we can make it however we want to make it, and people are doing really extraordinary things, and every couple of years throwing the baby out with the bathwater and starting over and, you know, having big, you know, species and treatises like this is what comics is and uh-huh. this is what it should be and shouldn't be and um you know it's so, so very creativity yeah very much so it's so energizing um it's well, so energizing to be a part of that conversation yeah from your personal perspective what would you note as the most important elements of being a comic artist and illustrator given the background of the wild west um, field that you've been talking about and all the the skills required. Ah, oh, that's a that's a very difficult one. Um, so the just to clarify, is it like the most important skill set? The most um, important elements, yeah, I would say. Yeah, I, I personality think that, um, traits and skill sets. Let's, let's let's make it a big question. 
<laughs> you got it. I'll try to make it as big an answer as I can. I think that, um, oh, man, everything that I'm starting to, every idea I'm starting to form in my head, I'm I'm coming up with so many counterexamples. I was going to say, like, I was going to say discipline because uh, it's so, it, it, it's such an interdisciplinary form. You have to be able to do book design and illustration and narrative and um, dialogue and, you know, kind of a literary understanding of the scope of what a book should be and often also publishing and self-promotion. Like, it's so many things um, that, in in my experience, I think one of the most important things for me is just this kind of dedicated mono-focus on and believing in believing in the project because otherwise what are you doing? Uh, but I can also think of so many people whose work I find extraordinarily energizing who are not disciplined at all and just play and come up with these really fun and wild and weird comics that yeah. are just as celebrated and just as engaging um, and that create, and that's, that defines a huge segment of what alternative comics are, especially in Chicago. There's a really strong kind of weirdo <laughs> element uh-huh. of, of Chicago comics. I think because in New York, all, all of the comic artists kind of get gobbled up by illustration agencies, and in L.A., all of the comics artists get gobbled up by animation, and um, the animation machine in Chicago doesn't have any larger entertainment industry, and so comics here just kind of get to be this... The, it, the focus is just on making it as kind of pushing the boundaries. Um, but I, I think that I think that for me, I mean, story is always primary. I think that that's a debatable thing. And so, uh, being able to know what story you want to make, know what story you want to tell, and really being able to think through that story visually um, and with as much depth as the way that you think about any other part of, of the book. Because um, there are plenty of books, and I I have a lot of criticism for a lot of the favorite graphic novels that are out there. Um, that are I, One of the reasons I make comics is because I haven't read the comic I want to read. Like mm-hmm. I, I find them all slightly dissatisfying. Um, but What the, about them? What about them dissatisfies you, and what are you looking for, and how are you going to incorporate that? Um... I I think that there's a there's there are a couple of different generations of alternative comic artists. So there's the like sixties and seventies underground um like uh underground comic artists that were the the function like the, the thing that was the most vital in those movements was um personal personal expression, like uh and often very, very gross, like meant to be alienating, like our crumb, like all of these people were, they would do put so much illustration detail into pus and vomit. And nah, I mean, that's not for me, to be totally honest. And uh-huh. then there's um, a generation of artists in the 80s and 90s, like Chris Ware and Dan Klaus and um, Alison Bechtel and all of these people who, you know, and again, I'm saying all of these names with a lot of reverence and I've learned so much from them, but there's a, um, I don't know, a perfectness to some of that expression and a, um, 
the kinds of stories, I think a lot of it has to do, frankly, with gender. Uh, it's not a, the heroes of that generation are really kind of whiny male voices that I don't find <laughs> engaging. Uh-huh. Um, I say that about and, Holden Caulfield. I, everyone in the world seems oh to love God. Holden Caulfield. I'm like, oh, my God, he said, what a whiny adolescent. Give me a break. But oh, anyway. he's the worst. I know. No, exactly. So the, there's a lot of the stories that are told um, are stories of kind of whiny pathos. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that some of that has to do with, I, I mean, now alternative comics are much more much more accessible, like you can pick up graphic novels at Barnes & Noble, right? Like it's it's not a thing that you have to go to a porn shop to go pick up or you don't have to go to an, a basement bookstore to pick up. And so I think the, the people who were making comics at that time, it was a much more alienated thing and there was a lot more to kind of the, the stories that you wanted to tell were ones of alienation. And those are not stories that particularly appeal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that the art that's being made now, I mean, I mean, it could, it could very much just be generational. There, there are artists who have a more contemporary vision of, of the world that vibes with mine, and a more contemporary view of what comics can be that vibe more with my view. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as far as what I want it to be, I, I think, um, I think that there's still a, a lack of literariness. Um, a, there are a lot of people who make uh, literary comics um, and poetic comics, and a lot of them are my my generation of comics. I think Aidan Koch, who's a comic artist who I hugely admire, um, Sam Alden, comic artist I hugely admire, they, they make comics that feel more like the kind of books that I want to read, where there's as much care for kind of poetic visual, like taking advantage of the visual nature of comics to be poetic, mm-hmm. to kind of blur that line with what's real in the scene and what's not real in the scene and and playing with that in a way that's, um, that's not celebrating alienation, but in a way that's celebrating something about that's um, connected or, or deeply felt or more true about humanity. Um, I I read a lot of um I've recently been on a jack of reading a lot of Anne Carson and uh I I read her a lot to educate myself on comics um mm-hmm. on the on the um in poetry there's a sparseness and um efficiency of language uh kind of not necessarily definitionally but often and you have to do that in comics as well. I mean, if you you can't put a whole paragraph in a text box, that would be really annoying. Um, And so you have to be able to balance just a little bit of text with the right image to create an emergent feeling. And I think, I I don't, again, I don't want to completely trash the artists who've come before me who've Especially because, like, what do I know? I'm still learning. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about in some ways. You know, I don't like, sound like I'm an, I'm an expert. I'm very, very, very much You're still talking learning. about your own vision. You're talking about your personal yeah. human vision of the medium and what you want to do with it. So I think you have 100% authority to do that. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> I just suddenly got very self-conscious. Um, so I think that, um, yeah, that's that's kind of what I want to do. I want to make, I want to make comics that feel 
truly, truly literary that really um, think hard about um, uh, that, that work to communicate something ineffable, um, which is by definition a very difficult thing to do. Ineffability is something that's not easy to communicate. Um, mm-hmm. But that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking really hard about as as I'm working on my books and thinking really hard about for the next for the next several that I I see ahead of me, um, the, which will take you know the next several years given how slow this process is. Well, yeah. that, this is a good moment for me to then ask you, where do you see your career in five years, in ten years, and in twenty years? Um, that's a really hard one to answer because comics uh, is. It's a very, I mean, I think this is very true probably for many arts, especially artists working outside of outside of institutional structures. It's a very kind of hand-to-mouth, scrappy, you know, selling the book in order to save a couple pennies to print the next book thing. Um, I, I recently um, got a book deal to publish a collected version of Sounds and Seas, and so that's a very exciting cool. thing for... Yeah, thank you for um, another something that has been a goal of mine um, recently, and so that's a, a really thrilling next step. But I congratulations! Ah, uh, thank you very, thank you very much. It's uh, really, it was a really validating thing. I found out last week, uh, so it's still super new. Wow, that's um, awesome! Yeah, I know. <laughs> but but in the future, I mean, I'm I'm as I was saying before, it took a long time to find this as my medium and I feel like I'm I'm so engaged by it because I feel like it'll take a lifetime to do right and a lifetime to master and my goal is to make the book I want to make in 20 years and to fail more successfully with each next one um I I think Ooh, that, I like that uh, to fail more successfully yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, as I look back on Sons and Seas, you know, now that I have, now that I'm much more widely read in the medium and now that I've had a lot more experience as a festival organizer and as an art director and in all of these related fields, I, it's not that I cringe, but I'm like, oh man, next time I do this really differently. And so I, my goal for the next year and two years and five years and 20 years is kind of the same one. I want to Keep being productive and keep keep being infected with that disease, <laughs> and uh, and keep you know keep thinking really hard about why I'm doing this because it's not easy. There's not a lot of rewards in it, and it's a really hard, really hard, and that's exactly why I love it. It's a sort of a yeah. magnificent challenge. It is, yeah, and I'm I'm committed. I'm lifelong in it. I'm so excited to. Every day, I get to wake up and think about these things. This is so cool, Marnie. And we're, you know, we're actually we're down to like five minutes. So before we go sure. any further, just tell people more of the websites and where they can find out more about you, how they can contact you if they'd like to, that kind of thing. So spit out some websites yeah. for us. All right, you got it. So my main website, where you can find out more about me and my illustration work I've done in comics. I'm also a freelancer, so if anybody needs. Uh, I'm putting my shingle out. If anybody needs yes. uh, illustration work, contact me. My website is monkeyropepress.com. Uh, On there is my a link to my store, which is an Etsy store, etsy.com slash shop slash monkeyrope. Uh, my email address, if anybody needs to, is just my name, Marnie Galloway, at 
gmail.com. I'm always happy to talk to people about ideas or questions. Um, I also have a, a podcast, um, which is Image Plus Text, where I talk with another cartoonist. I co-host with another cartoonist, and we talk to artists of all stripes. Currently, only cartoonists, because that's most of our social network. Um, mm-hmm. Image Plus Text com and plus is spelled out P-L-U-S um, and I'm trying to think what else oh definitely look for festivals in your area I definitely recommend festivalseason.org slash events to see if there's something coming up in your area um, they also have really lovely articles and features and reviews and interviews um, those are run by some really brilliant friends of mine um, and uh, the festival that I organize is Cake, the Chicago Alternative Comics Expo. And if you're an early career comic artist, we currently have applications open for a micro-grant, uh, $250 to self-publish a mini-comic, and mentorship from uh, one of my favorite cartoonists, John Porcelino. Um, you can find out more information at cakechicago.com, C-A-K-E, Chicago.com. That That is great. Marnie, you've been amazing. You have so much to say, and you're so eloquent and articulate about this field. I, it just makes me want to go out and learn more and check out some oh. of these festivals. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure, Casey. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, thank you for being on the show, Marnie. I'm really, really grateful. You've been wonderful. And so I would like to encourage listeners to go to monkeyropepress.com to learn more about you and to see your work, which is amazing and so creative and so just absolutely beautiful. So thank you for being on the show, Marnie. Thank you. And um, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, sounds great. Yeah, and uh, please, if anybody listening wants to talk, I'm game. Let's chat. <laughs> That's so nice. Thanks again. Thanks so much. Talk to you later. So, um, listeners, you can find more out about Marnie Galloway at monkeyropepress.com. And I want to thank everyone who's joined us for listening to the show. Please come back next week on Thursday, July 2nd at 1 p.m. to hear producer and director Christine Yu talk about um, her movie that she wrote and and directed and produced um the wedding palace and it's um she says it's the korean version of my big fat greek wedding and i think she has some great stories to tell us and then on july 9th we will have internationally recognized vedic astrologer camilla sutton and camilla will tell us how to make our lucky stars work for us and how the vedic system which is thousands of years old is different from the western system of astrology so kind of fun i think that'll be an interesting show also so thank thank you so much for listening in and marnie galloway was our guest today and she was amazing tune in next week until then take care This has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.